morning. Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Revelations, chapter 3. We'll read verses 14 through 16. And it reads, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You may be seated. Thank you, Daniel, for our reading this morning, and thank you, Jonathan, for leading us in uh, those beautiful songs. We've had beautiful singing, and I'm very grateful for your participation in that. Thank you for that, and for the prayers, and for the scripture reading, for the men who've led us in our worship today at the table. I am so grateful for the very fine way that you've led us in worship. If you're visiting with us, we're always very happy to have you. We hope that you'll come back and be with us tonight at 6 o'clock. And then, as we announced already, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we'll be having Searching the Scriptures Forum. Brother Don Hatch will be with us tonight, speaking at 6 o'clock. And then with us Monday night, Robert Johnson and also Brother Clay Williams. And we will be discussing the questions which you have proposed. And I look forward to that consideration. I hope you do as well. Hope you come and be with us, encourage you to come, invite others. Brochures have been prepared, they're out there in the hall, and you may pick uh, one or several and give them to your friends, encourage them to come and be with us for this year's Searching the Scriptures Forum, a unique venue whereby we study the Word of God and look at what the Bible says with regard to the very important questions that you've posed for consideration. We have a fine panel of men who are going to be here tackling those questions, and I hope that you take advantage of this unique opportunity. Revelation chapter 3, 14 through 16 is quite a tremendous passage. It talks about something we have too much of, and we have too much of it today. It talks about mediocrity. Seems it does not matter where we go, what great state we may be worshiping in, studying in, visiting. There's too much mediocrity, too much on the average, too much taking things for granted, and not enough putting our whole heart into our Christianity and faith. The Apostle Paul dealt with the matter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Verse 12, in that passage of Scripture, he deals with some criticisms that he was facing at the church at Corinth. And he said, now some were saying that I'm a very strong writer, but when I come to you, I don't have very good speaking abilities. And some have even criticized the way I look, Paul says. But he says they're really judging themselves by themselves. And I thought I'd read this particular passage. Really, it's Second Second Corinthians chapter 10 is what I have in mind. And The verse is verse 12, and this is the book that he really defends his apostleship and ministry. And he says in that verse, verse 12, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves 
2 Corinthians 10 and 12. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. His point is they compare themselves with each other. We really ought to be comparing ourselves with Jesus Christ. And we find that we come up in a very poor position when we look at His divine standard. People are that way. When they want to compare themselves, they will look at, you know, not the best congregation to look at. They just look at a congregation that seems to be there and seems to be going. And when they compare themselves with individuals, they don't compare themselves with the strongest member of the church. They sort of look at themselves and you say, they say, well, I know I'm not the best and I know I'm not the worst. I'm just average and I'm satisfied with that. But the Bible says God is not satisfied with that. Just to be average. I'm not the best. But I'm not the worst. I'm just right in there with the rest of the group. That's Revelation 3. That's that point that we read a moment ago. I know your works. Now that ought to cause us to tremble when I read Revelation 3 and 15. The word there, know, comes from a special Greek word. God really does know. He knows us through and through. And here Jesus, in this revelation revealed to John, says, I know. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, mediocre, and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You see, that's what God thinks about the average, the mediocre. Spit you out of my mouth, he said. I've often read that passage and wondered, I wonder why... He would rather they be one or the other rather than just lukewarm. I wonder why he would rather they be hot or I would prefer that you be cold over being just lukewarm. The lukewarm individual, the mediocre Christian, is the one that's so dangerous in his example to others. Because that kind of attitude rubs off on other people. And another person may say, well, I can... Look at his example, and I see you don't have to do that much. You don't have to be that involved. You don't have to be that concerned in order to be pleasing in the sight of God and in turn be a faithful member of the church. You see, that's a dangerous situation to be in. And it's a dangerous example to give before others. So Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold than just lukewarm. Because it's an insidious type of attitude that infiltrates and infects other people. They begin to think, the mediocre is okay. The average is all right. Now, we wouldn't stand for that in any issue of life. Now, you and I know that. If it has to do with the automobile, I want that thing to run fine. I paid hard-earned money for that automobile, and I want it to run right. And I want it to sound right, and I want it to do right. I'm not going to settle for substandard when it comes to the car that I drive. And the house that I live, well, you know, I hired painters to paint the house, and I want it done right. I don't want paint slashed, slopped over onto the window pane. 
I want the ease of the house dressed up right because I'm paying good money for this. I want you to do the best job that you can. And the clothes that we wear, why, we want the clothes to look right and to fit right because that's what we purchase. We purchase these clothes and they're expensive items and we want them to look right and fit right. And our food, well, I'm scandalized if you bring a, a steak to me that's not cooked properly. I'm sending that back. I want the best effort. And if it's just not cooked and prepared properly, I don't want that. Why, this is too cold. This is too hot. I want it right. That's the way we are. Except in the matter of morals and spiritual growth. Now, in the matter of morals and spiritual growth, a halfway measure is okay. We've decided the mediocre is all right. The matter of morals and spiritual growth, we're willing to take a half measure. And that's what mediocre actually means. It means a half measure. I don't get a full measure. I get a half measure. And a half measure is okay. That's average. And with regard to my morals and my Christian living and my growth and my continued maturing in Christ, mediocre is all right. That's the attitude many people have. The question I ask again, but it is, is it all right in the sight of God? Young people sometimes get involved in being average. They think of themselves as being average. And as they go to school, they might think, well, I'm more focused on what they're saying about me, and I'm more focused on my social contacts with my friends, and I'm a little more focused on how I look and how I dress, and I really didn't study like I should have and focus my time and interest on the subject at hand at school, and I really wasn't listening when I should have been listening because I was thinking about someone over here or what they were doing over there and I really wasn't involved in the discussion and I'm really not a part of it I'm kind of half dozing off and I made a C here mom here dad I got a C on my report card average when they know they could have done a lot better could have made a B could have made an A if they really went after it and really tried. But they decided in their mind, mediocre's okay. And you know what mom and dad sometimes do? Yeah, that's all right. You made a C, that's okay. You didn't make a D and you didn't make an F, so, but you made a C, that's pretty good. Try to do better next time. And we accept that. And we in, reinforce the mediocre. We, we reinforce the average in our children. And sometimes we say, you know, you should have done so much better. You could have done so much better. But C's all right. That's okay. We anticipate being average. It clings to us. It clings to congregations. Congregations begin to think of themselves as being average. People begin to think of themselves as the mediocre. In business, 
You know, they're sort of going through the motions. They're not really applying themselves and doing their very best. The employer wants an employee that will apply himself and focus on the task at hand and accomplish the job and do it well and do it with everything that you've got. And so many times they get an employee who goes through the motions. They're there. Their heart's really not in it. Their desire to excel and their desire to perform is not really there because they've decided within their own heart and their own mind, average is okay. Just so long as I can make it through the end of the day, then I can go home. I have a friend in Missouri, used to be state manager for that insurance company. State manager of an insurance company is a pretty important job. He's told me a number of times, said, Jim, I've hired people. They could be making sixty, seventy thousand dollars their first year, but what are they satis- They settle for? They settle for forty thousand dollars. They settle for thirty-five thousand dollars a year when they could be making so much more if they just really applied themselves and put themselves into it. But they have decided they'll just go through the motions, mediocre, satisfied with what they can get by with. It's not supposed to be that way in the kingdom of the Lord. In Luke chapter 14, the Bible tells us something here. Notice this mediocre passage here. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. This is what Jesus said, Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Did you see the mediocre attitude in that verse? If you did, would you please point it out to me because I can't see it. It's a passage that is saying you've got to love God supremely, and if you're going to be a child of God, you've got to give it everything that you've got. Now, the translators use the word hate there, and they really mean the word conveys the idea of love less. You've got to love your mother and your father, of course. It's not that you literally hate them in the sense that we think of it. But you must love them less. You must love God supremely. And anything that you allow to come between you and your love and your devotion to God is doing less than your best. Let me turn to another mediocre passage found for us in Matthew chapter 6 in the verse of verse 33. Now in this particular passage you'll have a discussion about, you know, the problems and the difficulties of life. And I tell you, brethren, I'm grateful for Matthew 6 because Jesus has helped me immeasurably here. He said, now don't worry about the problems of life. Why, um, you know, the birds of the air, God knows them and God cares for them. And they don't worry about these things. They have plenty. Are you not more, of much more value than they? Verse 26. And which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? You know, by worrying about the matter. How are we going to solve this problem by worry? It's not going to solve the problem at all. And the things that we eat and the clothes that we wear. Why consider the lilies of the field? How they toil. They toil not, neither do they spin. But yet, I say that your heavenly Father... He blesses them and He clothes them. O ye of little faith, therefore do not be anxious saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? I'm thankful for that. This is being said to you from a man who used to worry about things all the time. 
And it was a lack of faith. But I've gotten past that. I place those matters in the hand of the Lord. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now here's that mediocre passage I was telling you about, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Did you catch the mediocre attitude in that verse? Matthew 6 and 33. If you did, would you please point it out to me because I can't see it. I cannot see where there's just a ho-hum attitude and you must seek the kingdom of God first and put that first and foremost in your life. We cannot have a mediocre attitude, a half measure when it comes to serving the Lord. That was the point of Revelation chapter 3. But I see it everywhere I go. And I need the lesson myself. I've got to do my best. It's not enough to do. We must do our best. So what is there, Jim, that can help me with this mediocrity? Is there something in the Bible that will help me overcome the problem of just going through the motions with the matter of my faith and the matter of my worship? Is there something that will help me put my heart and my mind and my soul into the worship and the service of God like I should And with all answers that we go to with the Bible, the answer is yes. It's going to take courage to care. How can I get over this mediocre attitude? It's going to take courage. It's going to take courage to care for people who need Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone had the courage to care for us. Someone came along and taught us the Word of God. And they loved us to the point where they sat down and said, Here's a better way to live. Here's how to receive forgiveness of sin. Because I care for you, I am teaching you. I guess... The biggest story in the Bible that is a true story seems to be a man who just didn't care, would be that rich man in Luke chapter 16. There was a man, a rich man, Jesus said, and I think he was speaking about a specific individual. He fared sumptuously every day. That means every day was a big feast for him. He was clothed in purple. He wore the very best clothes and he lived in a beautiful place. But then he says there was a guy there named Lazarus, and he was at the rich man's gate. He was full of sores. He had to be carried at the rich man's gate. He laid at the rich man's gate every day. Dogs came and licked his sores. I don't know if he was too weak to take a stick and knock the dogs away, or if that was the only therapeutic value that he could receive was dogs licking his sores and wounds. He is a pitiful sight. And no doubt every day that rich man would go out the gate. Now see, the gate of the houses of that day and time were um, portico type of situations. And you go into the gate, go into this area, yard type area, go up to the door. The rich man comes out the gate and there's a poor man there. So poor he had to be brought by others and the dogs came and licked his sores. His name was Lazarus. We didn't have time for Lazarus. He's a busy man. 
He's a rich man. He doesn't care. He doesn't have the courage to care for that poor man. But then the Bible says the rich man opened up his eyes in torment. Opened up his eyes in Hades. And is tormented in the flames. And he sees over across the gulf, there's Abraham. And with Abraham is Lazarus, the poor beggar. He says, send Lazarus over here and help me. Dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in these flames. Abraham said, he can't come. There's a great gulf fixed between you and us. You can't come over here. We can't go over there. Don't you remember back in your life when you had the good things of life and all the wealth that you had and he didn't have anything? A poor beggar at your gate. You didn't care anything for him. Now he's enjoying this life and you're tormented in those flames. Before I'm too critical of the rich man, I better be sure I don't give him the compliment of following his example. Kings and queens will not eat as well as we will this afternoon in our multi-course meals, driving in our expensive automobiles, wearing our beautiful clothes, living in our fancy houses. We're out there, somebody is saying, teach me God's Word. Teach me what Jesus has to offer. Tell me what it means to be a Christian. We, in effect, give them the back of our hand because we've decided, I'm too busy to teach you. I'm too busy to help you become a Christian. I'm a rich man. And I got a lot going. I don't care. To overcome mediocrity, a congregation has got to have courage to care. Courage to care for those who are lost. And tell them about a loving Savior who died for them. And I can explain this to you. I can show you. I can help you understand. If you will sit down and listen and read the pages of the Bible with me. But I've got to have the courage to be able to help that person. I've got to have the kind of courage to help teach that person and explain the way. But the responsibility is not just on me. The responsibility is also on the wayward person. In Acts chapter 17, you have some who would not listen. A responsibility is placed upon me to teach others. There's a responsibility upon the hearer to sit and listen and to study what the Word of God has to say. In Acts 17, Paul's great sermon on the day of Mars Hill, verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead... Some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. They weren't willing to listen. Some mocked, they made fun of him and ridiculed him because of the biblical teaching, the divine teaching of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But then there are others with a type of passive indifference said, well, we'll hear about this some other time. 
There's nothing in the text of the Bible that tells us that they ever got another opportunity. Paul does not go, as far as I know, back to the city of Athens and preach the gospel again. That was the right time. Right then, when they heard the Word of God, they should have paid attention to it, and they should have listened to it carefully, studied it through, and responded properly to it. That was the time to do it when they first heard it, and they considered it carefully. text goes on to say in 33, So Paul went out from their midst. He's gone, and the opportunity's gone. You see, there's a responsibility upon the part of the teacher, but a responsibility upon the part of the hearer. I have a responsibility. You have a responsibility in this. A reciprocal kind of responsibility whereby I teach or someone teaches, and I listen as a hearer and respond properly to the Word of God. Before you and I or a congregation can ever outgrow this mediocrity, we're going to have to have the courage to care. One of the things we need to do to get out of the doldrums is dare to dream. And sometimes we think so small with regard to the kingdom of Christ But I always think of Ephesians chapter 3. I don't really know all that Paul had in mind there. I don't know that anyone really can. But in Ephesians chapter 3, particularly verse 21, he tells us just what God can do through us. Now to him who is able to do far more, verse 20, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Did you catch that? I'm in Galatians th- Ephesians 3. I'm in Ephesians 3 and I'm in verse 20 there. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Look at what God can do with us if we put our heart and our mind into the matter. To really devote ourselves to the service of God. To be the kind of person, truly, that God wants us to be. And encourage others to do the same. Look how we could grow if we really dreamed about it and dared to dream. I heard, or so I guess I read, in a church bulletin some time ago where a congregation was saying, you know, we're going to start a campaign, and the campaign is everyone win one. And if everyone will win one, we will double in size. And their desire was to double in size within the year. Everyone win one, and they would encourage themselves through the course of the year to sacrifice and to serve, to show their love for others and to teach others, to dare to dream. And I thought at the time, now it's going to take more than just a slogan in order to do that. Fine slogan, like the idea, didn't think of it myself, Somebody who didn't think of that, I thought they had a good idea there. Everyone win one. But it's going to take more than the slogan to do it. It's going to take sacrifice and service. And that was my first thought. But then I thought, you know, somebody had a dream there. That that could happen. And they went about that to try to put it to place. You know, I heard... I don't know how many times, I'm sure you've heard the same speech. Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech called, I Have a Dream. Now set aside whatever your thoughts are about Martin Luther King and the politics of the matter. 
and what he believes, what he doesn't believe. Just set that aside for a second. And I don't know that I agree with everything either, but just set that aside for a second. Martin Luther King and that speech he gives, and it just almost makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. When I hear him give that speech, I have a dream. We must dare to dream. As to the accomplishments which we can make in the Lord, what He can do with us and through us is far greater than anything we can think of or ask for. To ever overcome the problem of mediocrity, a congregation is going to have to dare to dream, to look to the future and try to accomplish those great works which we can think of with God's divine help providentially. He'll help us overcome mediocrity. But then, as I said a moment ago, it's going to take more than that. It's going to take a willingness to work. A willingness to work, isn't it? Preachers must be willing to work. We must be men who face the responsibility of preaching and teaching the Word of God. Sometimes that means we're going to be doing that on an individual basis. Might be in somebody's home, it might be across the kitchen table, opening up the Bible, helping them understand the Word of God. We've got to be willing to do that. It may be a responsibility we have to preach and teach in an assembly uh, format such as this, or it might be like a forum or a Bible class. We've got to be willing to do that, to devote ourselves to that particular matter. And as Paul would say in Acts 20 and verse 27, when he's at the church at Ephesus, he said, I didn't fail or shun to teach unto you the whole counsel of God. There were some things that were probably kind of um, sketchy subjects that you might not want to have heard, but I talked to you about that too. And there were probably some things, Paul says, that you really enjoyed listening to, and I talked to you about that. And then some things you just didn't want to hear at all, and I, I talked to you about that. I didn't shun to proclaim everything that you needed to hear. Not only the whole truth, but the truth that was needed at the time. This is what you needed to hear. And Paul says to the elders of the church at Ephesus, I explained that to you. Preachers have got to preach and teach and be willing to work. Takes a lot of study, doesn't it? Takes a lot of thought, a lot of prayer to be able to think about. Now, what's the best way to answer that? What's the best way to say that? How can that be said so that we can remember that? It takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of prayerful consideration. It's an awesome responsibility. Greatest job in all the world, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not for everyone. It's for those who are willing to work and to put themselves into it to preach the gospel, to face the good days and the bad days. One of my heroes would have to be Moses Lard. Moses Lard was born in the same county my dad was born in, Bedford County, Tennessee, not far from Shelbyville, Tennessee. He was born, that is, Moses Lard was born in 1818. Moses Lard grew up in Middle Tennessee, a rough, old, tough cowboy. He would frequent the bars and the beer joints and the beer gardens of the day. He was a rough old character, but he married well. He married Mary Riff, 1842. Moses Lard couldn't read or write. His wife, Mary, was a schoolteacher. 
and she would take down the old handbills and take scissors and cut out the letters. And by cutting out the letters and showing him what they meant and putting them together in different combinations, Moses Lard learned to read and learned to write. He picked up a copy of the Millennial Harbinger on one occasion. He read an article by Alexander Campbell. He's moved to obey the gospel of Christ, repented of sin, baptized into Christ, for the remission of sins. Continued reading the Millennial Harbinger, Campbell's paper, and he decided, I want to go to school there. He so qualified himself to go to Bethany College in Bethany, Virginia, and graduated valedictorian of his class, giving the commencement address in Latin. Jeremiah Jeter, a denominational preacher, criticized Campbell and the idea of the freedom of the individual to be able to choose between right and wrong and the need for the individual to repent of sin and to be baptized into Christ. And he really misrepresented the case. And Campbell said to Moses, Lord, I want you to answer him, showing the confidence that Campbell had for a Moses, Lord. Moses Lard writes and answers the denominational quibbles which Jeremiah Jeter had set forth at the time. Moses Lard began to publish large quarterly. It ran for a number of years, 1863 to 1868. One of the quarterlies which restoration preachers still study today. Wrote one of the best commentaries on the book of Romans I've ever read. Came from a man who couldn't even read and write. Preacher, willing to work, willing to study, to do his best rather than just be average. For churches to overcome mediocrity, we're going to have to have elders that do their best. We need elders who devote themselves first to themselves and then to the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost has made them overseers. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. They're going to be willing to work. We have elders here. I'm very happy to say they love this congregation. Their heart is directed toward each one of you and this congregation. They love this congregation. They devote themselves to elders' meetings, both with preachers and deacons, regular basis. See over the matter of the flock, the individual family and its members. Concerned about the comings and goings of the members of the congregation. Going to take elders who are willing to work. Lead God's people in the pathway of righteousness. I'm thankful for you elders. If you have an opportunity, go up and tell them. Thank you for your service for the Lord and to this fine congregation. Congregation to overcome mediocrity is going to have to have dedicated deacons who are willing to work. What I said about the elders, I can easily say about the deacons of this congregation. Fine group of men who have devoted themselves in special tasks of service. We're not concerned about the temperature of the building or the opening and closing of doors or, or the maintenance of the building and the grounds because these men have devoted themselves to that special task. These deacons 
prove themselves. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. And I don't think deacons actually realize how important their work is. For the continual ongoing of the congregation so smoothly, so much of that depends on deacons who devote themselves to these tasks. Often we don't thank them, but really we should. For a church to rise above the average, it's going to have to have dedicated deacons who are willing to say, I'll take that task. I'll get that job done. I'll do it. And they see it through, and they do it. Because we can count on them. It would be kind of funny looking, though, wouldn't it? If you had faithful preachers that are working, elders that love the church and are willing to work, deacons who are willing to devote themselves to special tasks, see it through, get it done, and then no members? That would look kind of funny. It's going to take membership. Because each one in the congregation is an important one. Not only is the congregation looked as a whole, but the congregation is looked at as individuals. Individual members of the congregation who must be willing to work, who must be willing to rise above the mediocre, willing to rise above the average, and say to themselves, I can do better than this. There's a great work out there to be done. We can get it done. We can do it. Now, a long time ago, I was the right defensive tackle for the Murfreesboro Central Tigers. And that might not mean much to you, but that was quite an accomplishment, really, to be on that team. High school was 3,000 students, had three, th- three principals, had a lot of fellows go out for the football team. I got a long story here, and I'm not going to bore you with it. We were playing Clarksville High School, and our coach, Lee Pate, came into that halftime locker room, took that clipboard, threw it down on the floor. He said, now, boys, I don't mind getting beat by a team that's better than us, but this team's not better than we are. We're going to go out there, and we're going to beat that team. And we did. We had to rise above the average, the mediocre. Now, brethren, the team out there against us is not as good as we are. This old world with its heartache and problems cannot compare to what we have. All of the joy of this world is nothing in comparison of the hope of eternal life, which we have as a present possession. We can beat that team out there if we rise above the mediocre, if we give it everything we've got. And that's the only kind of service that God will accept. Won't you rise above the average? Repent of your sins today and confess your faith in Christ. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. Dedicate your life to Christ by living the faithful Christian life. Won't you do it now? Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?